Hey everybody, it is great to be with you again. I'm Heath Haynes. In case you don't know, I am one of the elders here at the bridge. I'm also a part of our Heights House Church and I'm just really looking forward to uh, being in Mark uh, with you guys. Uh, we have two weeks left in our study of Mark. As we've been in Mark, we've been kind of looking at it through a specific lens of focusing in on seeing Jesus as the King and seeing uh, his purpose of going to the cross, the crown and the cross of Christ. You know, as we've been doing that, we've been asking the question of why does it matter that we understand the identity of Jesus the King and what kind of King he is? We've been really kind of digging into that and, and enjoying kind of seeing the fullness of Jesus. But as well as that, we've also been looking at the purpose of why Jesus had to go to the cross and how that helps us live out the true purpose of our lives in a way that is actually full of joy and freedom and not just hoping for it. And so today, as we come into Mark 15, I want to approach today's text a little differently. Um, throughout this week, as we come into Mark 15, we're really seeing these last moments of Jesus leading all the way up to the cross and his death. We really get to, it really invites us to, to consider the suffering of Jesus, what he endured. And as I've been praying through this week, I've really just been praying, Lord, help, help me first off to really experience and to understand, to empathize and to be kind of overtaken in, 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 of why it matters of, that Jesus suffered and what he went through. And I've just really been praying, like, how do we make sure that we don't just read the text? How, how do we make sure not just to talk about this once again? Because it's probably familiar for many of you in a way that's kind of impersonal and removed. And I've really just been praying through that and seeking the Lord. And then yesterday, I, I just was able to listen to Francis Chan just share for a little bit. And, and he challenged us. He, he was challenging those who lead, those who teach, those who preach. And he was just challenging kind of the, the space that we take up and the role that we fill. And he, he challenged us that often we act as kind of the master physician or the surgeon where we are the ones who are going to get to do the work and we're the ones who are integral to, to the healing. But the challenge was we are only receptionists. And this is true for all of us. Our opportunity is to get each other to Jesus to usher each other into the presence of our God and to, to the wonder of Christ. And so today, I want to just really settle in to being a receptionist for you. I want, I want to simply get you to the master surgeon, to get you into the presence and care of our great and glorious Savior, Jesus. So I want to invite you to encounter Jesus in his word. Right? I mean, our teaching is always from the Word, but often we are kind of using it, we're talking about it, or we can kind of, that's a temptation just to kind of let it reside there. But I want to invite all of you to come to the Word yourself, not just to take my word for it, not just to listen to me, but to encounter Jesus in His Word as you go to Him and not just listen to me. So I want to encourage you, I want to ask you, to beyond this teaching now, to set time aside more than the few minutes that we have together and to, and to sit in the presence of God. And as you do that, to ask, to pray, asking the Holy Spirit 
to move in you. And as you pray that, expect him to do so. And then as you expect him to do so, to wait on him. That takes time. It takes patience. It takes, it takes just stillness. How often are we still? How often do we slow down? How often are we unhurried in the fellowship of our Father? So I want to encourage and ask you to sometime between now and before you gather together with your church community to make sure to spend time in stillness and unhurriedness. So today we're going to look at Mark 15. We're actually going to back up just a little bit back into Mark 14, starting in verse 53. And I pray that as we do so today, that we see the work of Jesus on the cross, not in a whole new way. We don't want to, there's nothing new, but, but in a whole new personal way for you and for me. And as we do that, I hope that we understand what happens when we seek salvation, when we seek refuge, when we seek peace, when we seek strength, and anything else other than Jesus himself and what he accomplished for you and me. But before we go any further, I'd love to pray. So Lord, I just wanna surrender this time. I pray that these moments that we share in this video, um, it primes our hearts, it, it, it informs our posture before you, it, um, it awakens a hunger and a thirst for righteousness and fellowship with you. Lord, it increases our faith of your desire for us, your goodness, or your promises. And I pray that this would be fruitful, Lord, for your glory, for our good, for our sanctification, for our freedom. And Lord, they would all be in Christ and unto him. So Lord, speak, to, speak through me now. Speak um, however you desire. Will we surrender in Jesus' name, amen. So again, so today's teaching is a little different. It's more of a, a, a kind of a, a primer. It's really meant to set you up in your personal time. So again, if you do not go and take some extra time in the word, you will sorely miss out because this teaching doesn't encompass it all. So I want to draw your attention to a few key truths in these passages, and then you'll get into the word yourself. So, so uh, with that being said, I want you to look for this. There's kind of a simple guide to help you kind of do that. It's uh, in our weekly email, as well as in the description of this YouTube video, uh, if you're watching this on YouTube. Um, but, so with that being said, we're going to start by reading Mark 14. So we're backing up a little bit, and we're going to read a few verses, 53 through 65. And it says this. So again, picking up where we left off from last week, Jesus has been arrested. Everyone has abandoned him, right? So he was, he was wrongfully arrested. Here we are. And it says, And they led Jesus to the high priest. And all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about, their even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, have you no answer to make? 
What is it that these men testify against you? But he, Jesus, remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus spoke this time and he said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witness do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And all condemned him as deserving death. And they began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him. And they said to him, prophesy. They mocked him and the guards received him with blows. It's a pretty intense moment. Did you notice what Jesus said in response to the high priest question? His message, Jesus' message has changed. Up to this point, throughout what we've seen in Jesus' ministry, he's been questioned many times about who he is. He's been, he's been questioned about many times about the, the, the timeline of his work. And what has he said up to this point? He said things like, it's not my time. He said, hey, don't tell anyone what you've experienced and seen. He's answers questions with questions. He's been, he's been acknowledged as the son of man. We've heard that language, but it wasn't from Jesus. It was from others. But now, Jesus, he's direct. And he clearly makes a personal claim on his own deity his own sonship of God, and that he is absolutely the promised Messiah. When Jesus said, I am, he said, and when he says, the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power, coming with the clouds of heaven, this would have been heard by all those present as a definitive and direct reference to Daniel 7 and the messianic prophecy that it contains. We see it in Daniel 7, 13 through 14. It says, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. So Jesus is now direct. We must remember as we looked at all through Mark that Jesus, our Savior King, came to die. Jesus, who just a few hours before was crying out in the garden to not to have to go through this, was now resolved and steadfast. Why? I love what Andy called us to last week and what we were shown in Jesus, we see that Jesus desired nothing over his heavenly father's will. Therefore, Jesus wanted what God wanted. Jesus was steadfast because he knew he had one purpose in this world, and that was to overcome our sin and death and to redeem the world, to redeem you and me. And that, that's so even if it means that he had to suffer what was due us. 
Look at Hebrews 12, 2 and 3 with me. It says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. He endured. He endured the cross, the despising, the shame. The one who, who should have been seated at the right, the right hand of God the whole time, who condescended, who took on flesh and took on death for our sake. Jesus lived the life we couldn't live. He died the death that we should have died. He paid the debt that we could not satisfy to give us the life and salvation that God covenanted to us by his grace through faith in him. Jesus endured for the joy that was set before him. We know that Jesus was motivated by the, to glorify God and all that he did was to glorify God, but he knew that that purpose that came through fulfilling the purpose of God's intent to redeem the world through his sacrifice. And so we come from here, Mark then proceeds through chapter 15 to work through kind of in rapid succession all that Jesus experienced up through his death on the cross. And again, I cannot emphasize enough, and I have a little bit of tension in leaving it to this, but I know that it's going to be worth it for you and for me that if we have to take time to work through um, this, this, this scripture, these passages uh, in, in Mark 15. So again, I want to encourage you, use that reflection guide, set that time aside that you can be unhurried and go straight to Jesus. You and him fellowshipping by the power of the Holy Spirit and experience the abundance of riches and grace in what he has done, what he has accomplished. So that's ahead for you. But before we get there, I want to jump to 15, chapter 15, verses 33 and 34 to really understand an important reality for you and I experiencing the joy and peace that Jesus brings in his salvation. Mark 15, 33 and 34 says, And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So we see this is the moment of Jesus dying. He's breathing his last here. And as this was happening, we see in verse 33 that darkness came over the land. And that's more than just something interesting or curious. And I want us to see this is not some natural or normal phenomenon. But we see that in the sixth hour, that's, that's noon. That's noon. And so we see that it was dark from noon to three. And we can't explain this away. Eclipses, you know, some, some people say, well, maybe it was an eclipse. Eclipses don't last this long, one. And two, they don't, also don't happen in the cycle of a full moon, and the Passover happens around a full moon. Also, we can't say, well, man, this was a dust storm. Dust storms were common in that area. Well, not during this time of year. This is, this is the wet season. 
So what I just want us to acknowledge to see that, that this was a supernatural act of God. Why would he do that? What was he doing? And without going into it deeply, I just want to see here throughout Scripture, we see these moments of darkness happen. And what we see is that darkness is used to depict God's judgment. It comes in accompaniment, accompaniment of his judgment, of his wrath. And what we know is that in his judgment, again, God is trying to turn the hearts of his people back to him. And so we see a picture of this, like others, like in Romans 8. Sorry, Amos 8, 9 says this. And on that day declares the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. And if you look at Romans, I mean, Amos 8, I love Romans 8. I think I just got Romans 8 on the brain. But if you look at Amos 8, this is the proclamation of judgment on rebellious Israel of what is to come. And so we see that in this judgment, the people of Israel who had turned away would find themselves in darkness. The very people that Jesus came to save had once again rejected him and turned to what the world promises. They didn't want what Jesus was offering. They wanted this power. They wanted privilege. They wanted comfort. They wanted position. This is what they expected, and it's not what Jesus was offering, so they rejected him. And they found themselves in darkness once again, they found themselves experiencing the, the, the judgment of God. They got what they wanted. Instead of finding themselves in the light of God where all goodness, love, and life dwells, they found themselves in the dark. And we have to see here again, when we're talking about the darkness here, this is a, a darkness of the soul. This is spiritual darkness. It's aimlessness in fear, it's aloneness and desolation. What we need to see here is that this will always be our experience too. Whenever we turn to anything other than Jesus, expecting it to be some source of light and life will only deliver darkness, will only deliver Aloneness, emptiness, and desolation, and aimlessness. Hear this. If we try to find our worth in anything else other than the life of Jesus that was ransomed for us, we'll crumble in the darkness of the fragile economy of an unbearable standard. If we try to gain our identity from anything other than who God says we are in Christ as his beloved and reconciled sons and daughters, we will live in the darkness of self-doubt. If we try to define success by the world's standards, we'll find ourselves in the darkness of eternal striving and straining, but never quite getting to the place of finding true contentment or rest of the soul. But, We are not hopeless against the dark. God never intends or intended the darkness to be the final reality. Just as we see the pattern of of all of history where God's people turn from him and he brings this judgment and then they cry out and he restores. It is always meant to turn our hearts to him to find true life and freedom and joy. His desire is always your restoration and salvation. So the question is for us, the question is for you. 
Will you live in the light of Jesus or walk in the darkness of lesser things? Jesus beckons from the cross. Come to me and in my death, find life. One last thing as we close, I want to look at the response of the centurion in chapter 15, verse 39, when he says, as he saw, as he watched Jesus breathe his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. He proclaimed it. Centurions are battle-hardened men. They were not aristocrats who were given a position. They were men who fought their way up the ranks. This soldier would have seen much pain and death and hardship, and yet his heart was melted in this moment as he watched Jesus die. In that moment, this man saw all of Jesus' love, his glory, his compassion, his humility. He saw it. The centurion wasn't in the garden, but he witnessed the same heart of Jesus that cried out and said, take this cup from me if at all possible, but not my will, but yours be done. He witnessed that same heart when he heard Jesus cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me and breathed his last? He saw the fullness of Jesus right there in that moment in the way that he died. And I pray that as you consider why Jesus endured the cross and how trusting him in and above all things leads and keeps you in the light and results in you being overtaken to the point of proclaiming with this centurion, truly, this man is the son of God. And it's not just some intellectual thought, but it is a transforming reality in your heart and life. That's why I want to invite you to come to the word yourself. Because you're not just getting into book. You're not just reading ink on a page. You are fellowshipping with a living God. You are coming to the, into the presence of Jesus. So I pray your time in the word brings you straight into the presence of the master surgeon of Jesus and is transformative and fruitful for your soul and your life. Let's pray. So God, I thank you. I thank you for your love and mercy and grace and compassion that moves you to overcome, Lord, our, our, the, the consequence of our own sin and death against you, Lord. Your compassion moved to overcome, to bring us salvation at the cost of yourself, the cost of your son. And so, Lord, I pray as we find time in these next few days to just sit with you in your word, in your presence and in fellowship, Lord, that we would be sobered, astounded, awe-filled, humbled, renewed, restored, invited in to wholeness and salvation in Christ once again by seeing what he endured for our sake. And that, Lord, that that would woo us away from the, from the dark. Lord, those things that we think are so promising that only lead to desolation. And that just as Jesus, in his moment of crying out, of wanting reprieve from what was demanded, found that you were more satisfying 
and said, not my will, but yours be done. And that truly brought a steadfastness and a contentment. God, I pray that we would experience that same thing and be wooed away from what, what crumbles and Lord, wooed to you and find life. So Lord, we surrender and we love you. God, thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Guys, we love you so much. We truly are better together for the glory of God. Hope to see you soon, God willing. Bye-bye.